Hello there, Blockheads, and welcome back to the New Blocks. It's episode 10. Today, we're going to be talking about market cycles. We're back again here, Kevin, adding a zero to the old digit column here, hitting episode number 10. Uh, I forget what the exact figure is, but some number of podcasts, like the average is you don't make it to pass like episode six, episode seven. So congratulations, bud. You're no longer just another statistic in the podcast world. You've done it. You deserve a pat on the back. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I am super surprised that I made it this far, uh, <laughs> except not really because I've been itching to talk about crypto for years now, and I have like another 20 or 30 episodes of content planned out. So uh, yeah, I'm glad to glad to have made it to this big milestone. Um, I also think this kind of like caps off our like true non-technical fundamentals. Like there was obviously mm -hmm. some technical stuff in there, but um, from this point after this episode moving forward, we've got a series of kind of progressively technical um, building blocks that kind of lead into uh, to the the newer, more interesting things that are happening. But yeah, yeah I wanted to take a second and, and talk about um, like zoom out, talk about what uh, how crypto sits on a world stage, how it has grown over the years, um, and yeah. yeah. Looking forward to it. And this is another one that uh, might be good to watch on YouTube. But we've got a couple of visuals that we're going to pull up partway through here. Some of them uh, even animated at that, not even just stills. So uh, if you're listening to the podcast version right now, maybe think about popping on YouTube if you have trouble uh, purely what we're talking about later on. Um, but Production what value is going through the roof. Yeah. This podcast. Yeah, exactly. We're well, I mean, We're to be fair, websites. we've had <laughs> we've had one where we had some visual aids and a That's couple true. people did mention to me that the visual aids helped a little bit, that they weren't particularly hey. exciting, but hey, you know, that's PowerPoint. That's PowerPoint's I'm, fault. That's I'm not here our for fault. It. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. So, what are we diving into today? Uh, what's our starting yeah. point here with these market cycles? Yeah, let's start with a little uh, this week in crypto news first. Uh, the European Central Bank just said that uh, Bitcoin doesn't have any of the basic properties of money and it's a speculative asset with no recognizable fundamental value. Um, HSBC Bank, which is the sixth largest bank in the world, has begun to not only ban users for buying crypto, but even buying stock for companies that own crypto on their balance sheet, uh, companies like MicroStrategy, and I'm assuming maybe like even Coinbase Tesla. coming up. Or something. Like, why? Well, how? Yeah. God, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. Using <laughs> service to users for buying stock in Tesla. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. That's so... Something. I mean, how has the, the crypto market reacted to this bearish news? Yeah, it's been solid, my friend. Uh, I mean, the Coinbase IPO dropping tomorrow is certainly exciting news, and that's made headlines about cryptocurrency in general. Surely had a little bit of a short-term effect here. We've hit some all-time highs, though. We broke 63000 with Bitcoin earlier today. We broke 2300 on Ethereum, and um, we're, we're still pushing a little bit. I don't know exactly what we're at right now, but it is certainly exciting times. Uh, uh, you get to wake up and see how much closer to the moon we've gotten. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're 10 episodes into this podcast now, and we really haven't talked about price much at all. Uh, yeah. And that's, I mean, there's a good reason for that. I, in particular, when I started uh, planning out episodes for this, I, I'm really not super interested in telling people price of crypto like you can go look at that yourself you're more than welcome I, you don't need me to to explain that to you uh like 
for me, I, I think it's also just important for people to understand the technological side of it um, before they become invested in it. Because when you do it the other way around, it doesn't always turn out very well. Uh, this uh, this guy, Dave Portnoy, he's the head of Barstool Sports. He recently uh, was all over Twitter buying uh, Bitcoin while it was rising, you know, did really well uh, while the price was going up. The second it crashed, uh, sold all of it and, and like lost a ton of money in the process, was really burned, uh, pretty butthurt about it. And then like he took the time to, to continue learning about it uh, and then started to understand the, the value prop uh, and realized that he just completely yeah. misunderstood it and <laughs> kind of uh, owned up to it a bit, which was neat. But yeah, I, I don't like seeing people go through that that route. I'd rather if you if you're interested in getting into the space, like start with a good foundation of understanding yeah. what it is that we're doing long term. Yeah, I, I think that the blockchain technology itself is fundamentally more interesting and will kind of stand the test of time a bit more than any specific coin. I mean, for the really big ones, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, these like really big market cap, long history, uh, fundamental sort of coins. Absolutely. They're very sticky. They're going to be around for a while, even if they do get outpaced by other technology down the road. But blockchain is the building, the foundation of all of it, as we talked about in the very first episode. Cryptocurrency is just really the best application of blockchain we have right now. But I mean, that could change in, um, you know, the, the not too distant future where we find some other creative way to, to apply this blockchain concept to something else. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, I, I, despite the fact that uh, I spend a ton of time learning about cryptocurrency and essentially money i don't personally find it uh uh you know i'm like anyone else it's kind of awkward to talk about money with friends and family uh and um uh, like i that being said i think it's it's worth understanding the context that surrounds the price um and and sort of through the lens of uh if blockchains are this first introduction uh, introduction to this idea of like a trust machine Mm -hmm. uh bitcoin is in that sense sort of a good uh indicator of how humanity has chosen to trust the first ever trust machine uh and how we <laughs> how we true to how we choose to value it um and like <laughs> that sounds super hand wavy um but Very i think meta. it's worth <laughs> it's worth looking at it more so from the view of like Okay, if the value proposition here is like this, um, this, this store of value, or in Ethereum's case, like more complicated um, mechanism to store trust, like how has that done over time? And and like, mm -hmm. are we putting more trust into it? Are we putting less trust? Um, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time, uh, you know, giving some points of reference to talk about it. Um, I, I'm less interested in in people. Uh, dumping all their money in here and and going to the moon and buying lambos like that's i i know it's a meme to say that like i'm in it for the tech but like genuinely i'm not here to to like go get all my friends to go pump up some coin that i have like I, i'm not i'm not i'm not about it you spent so, too much time in san francisco i can just see you walking around hey guys kevin <laughs> weaver uh, in it for the tech yeah, I'm really just here yeah. for the tech. I'm not really. I'm not even that invested because you know I'm in it for the tech. I'm just. I'm just using it to to hit some smart contracts. But you know, yep, speculating, right. speculating on this technology. <laughs> so um, yeah, let's talk about some of these examples. Uh, first yeah. one, I'll I'll hit on, and then I'll I'll let you show some um, 
some some websites. But uh, you know, in the United States, we've had a couple stimulus checks. Now, uh, it I think it adds up to uh, the couple that we've had, $3,200. Uh, mm-hmm. And if at the time of receiving each of those, you had invested it in just Bitcoin as one example, um, that $3,200 would now be worth 14179 or something as of yesterday. So, you know, there's okay. like a very <laughs> short-term uh, perspective of like the 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 growth that has occurred, but let's, let's take a second and zoom out, uh, and look at some of these other points of reference. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, fiat market cap, of course, fiat, just a fancy word for money. Uh, this is Bitcoin included and, uh, we can see the kind of the relative price conversions here. Um, and they've got max supply cutely listed because every other currency is unlimited for the most part. So very, very nicely laid out here, but does put some things into perspective in terms of global currencies by market cap uh, and how they compare to Bitcoin, China, uh, US, the Euro, uh, the Jap- Japanese won, I think I believe I believe it is, uh, Great British Pound. Um, it goes all the way down to 14, and that's where Bitcoin shows up. So uh, not quite to the moon yet, but making solid headway here, Kevin. Yeah, and, and it's, it's pretty nuts how quickly that has occurred in kind of the grand scheme. We're talking about currencies that ex- have existed for, in some cases, hundreds, um, even, even longer uh, years. And there's Bitcoin. It, it just popped up few years back relatively it's now the 14th largest uh compared to to other government issued fiat currencies um but yeah next uh eighth largest asset by market cap if you compare uh company assets uh we've got you know beating facebook and tesla closely trailing silver um oh wow that's a lot of gold out there you know this is an interesting chart because um I, I never quite realized how large the market cap on gold is. It makes sense. Uh, silver as well, $1.38 trillion at number seven. And then that puts Bitcoin in eighth at $1.182 trillion total market cap right now. And that is at a current price of $63,288, up 5% today. Yep. It's, it's swinging with the, the big boys and girls. That's um, in the big leagues. Yeah, uh, yeah next one. Best performing asset of the decade is not something to ignore, right? Because a lot of these we're talking about, like stimulus checks have a very short time frame that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a decade, 10 years, Bitcoin just demolished everything else comparatively uh, between like S&P 500, uh, gold. Um, yeah. It's it's been pretty interesting to watch just the the amount of return on investment that has yeah uh, so the difference that has occurred sort of stag a lot of data points to digest here and a, a point where I, I wouldn't blame you if you you hit pause and uh, zoomed in a little bit to to take some thoughts here uh, we're looking at K- case Bitcoin making the case for Bitcoin every day what a cool visualization here but they've got Bitcoin broken down with. Uh, ROI by year and then relative to gold and the S&P 500. And man, over the last five years, the S&P 500 has done pretty well also. It's ramped up from plus 50% per year, um, you know, like five to 10 years ago. And 
last half decade, we've been pushing three figures here, you know, 100%, 150%, 200% returns on the S&P 500. Of course, Bitcoin completely dwarfs that when you look at percentage returns. Even just five years ago, uh, we were at 15,000% return because Bitcoin did open pretty low, Kevin. We can't forget that. Um, but yeah, we're up to a 5.5 million percent return if you were one of the very, very, very early Bitcoin holders. Yeah, so. and if you if you scroll down to that chart uh, underneath some of those metrics, there's the store of value ROI chart. It defaults to two years. Um, if you bump that up to the full decade, switch uh, at the top left there, switch that over to ten. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of gives you a better visual of of where Bitcoin sits compared to. Uh, gold, S&P, U.S. bonds. Um, and it's kind of hard to differentiate between those other things and like the zero straight lines at the bar. bottom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least when you're comparing Bitcoin, right? Like if you remove that from there, it would look a bit different. But um, yeah, uh, pretty, yeah, pretty bizarre. And, and of course, we're talking about just Bitcoin. So we're not, if, if you were to yeah. lump in you know, all of the cryptocurrencies, if we were to start averaging for some of the lost capital and the failed ICOs and all that stuff, um, yeah, we are cherry picking a little bit here. But it's more just illustrating the point of, um, you know, what, what, what our foundation level looks like. Yeah. So um, next up, I think it's a chart that we've all probably seen at one point or another. If you've ever Googled Bitcoin price, um, that is the like linear chart of the price of Bitcoin. Um, and it's not actually super great at showing the long term. If you switch that chart over to just the max time frame that it'll allow you to load, um, you see this you know, long horizontal line. And then you see maybe just a couple big bumps and then all the way on the far right, it's going vertical. Um, And that doesn't show a great uh, view of like how this has really grown long-term. So So yeah, the linear chart is sort of telling, but one of the better tools I think is this thing called the rainbow chart. And the first time I saw this, Kevin, I was actually a little bit mind blown and it was pretty recent. I couldn't believe no one had linked this to me earlier on in my uh, cryptocurrency journey. So um, help me break down what we're seeing here, the the Bitcoin rainbow. Yeah. And actually, before we even start at this top graph, if you scroll down just a little bit more, uh, you'll see for reference, these were the original charts from 2014. Um, The difference here is, you know, on a regular linear graph, you are showing the price and the uh, y-axis is growing in a linear fashion, uh, $1, $2, $3, etc. cetera. Uh, with a logarithmic graph, uh, it increases exponentially. So you've got one cent, 10 cents, a dollar, $10, 100,000, 10,000. Yeah. Starting in 2010, we saw our first spike in Bitcoin. Um, and it went through a series of these boom bust cycles that lasted years. Um, It spiked again later in 2013 and 2014. Um, And then if we scroll back up to the top, uh, we see that the 2013 and 14 spikes, we get all the way through 2018, where it spiked again. Um, And we're in another market cycle. We're in another boom, um, a bull market. And... um, this is sort of a better view to help you understand um, that this isn't the first time Bitcoin has done this. And it's likely, you know, not the last, uh, at least to some degree, because 
technology uh, in as it is adopted by the masses, whether it's the internet, whether it's Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, um, it tends to grow exponentially. You know, you tell a friend about it and that person learns and adopts it and they tell two friends about it. And then those two friends tell two friends and suddenly it's exploding. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around and it's hard to show from just that, that linear growth, uh, chart that most people often see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love data visualization tools like that. And it shows the spectrum of, of relative to the expected growth, how that price variation cut down all the way from fire sale, like buy immediately to super overpriced, sell immediately, take the profits where you can find them. Um, just just showing the the extreme gap that I guess uh, that exists on this spectrum of speculating unprecedented currencies and technologies all bundled into one. Uh, very cool. Yeah. And a common question that people then ask is, why is it moving in these market cycles? Why is it going through these boom and bust cycles? Why can't it just, you know, slowly increment and, and get adopted? Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, so reason one, reason number one that people often mention is that Bitcoin uh, has a monetary issuance policy that cuts itself in half every four years. Uh, wow. These are called halving events. And we've talked about them in previous episodes, but uh, it sends a, kind of an immediate uh, supply shock that the market needs to deal with. Uh, we go from 50 Bitcoin uh, down to 25 Bitcoin every single new block. And then, uh, you know, I think we're down to like six and a half or something. Right. Um, and every time that happens, um, that they're, there tends to be this like shock that gets priced in suddenly the Bitcoin supply just dropped in half and the demand is all still there. Um, that's kind yeah. of one side of the coin though. Yes. I guess specifically to give like that clear definition of having again, um, like you said, it's, it's by design, but it has to do with the block reward. So all the miners that are working on assembling the block that's like in queue, as we've talked about, a reward gets paid out that's shared across those miners. That reward is what gets cut in half. So um, it it greatly reduces by 50% the amount of new coin that are getting put into circulation every time a block gets, uh, gets minted. So... Um, that makes perfect sense that the market would cycle around that. I can't believe that I hadn't thought about it like that before. And it is, it's written in, it's, is it a time thing or is it a number of block thing? Right? When it's you say four years, okay, so four yeah, years is it, just it, the approximation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's not always an exact science. Sometimes the market tends to price them in, in advance of the having. Sometimes it's a little bit after the having. Um, and also like the, it's, like anything else, this is just one potential way that this could be affecting the the time frame of these boom bust cycles. But another aspect of it uh, that is more broad than just Bitcoin, but in technological uh, innovation, uh, is the cycle of adoption and infrastructure improvements. Um, so mm. you start with a new thing, uh, and that new thing begins uh, to see new adoption. Um, there's increased usage. Uh, that increased usage leads to, in the case of Bitcoin, network congestion. So, you know, more and more people are using it, but there's only a limited number of block space every single time mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a new block. So uh, it eventually leads to this place of uh, we need to build 
more infrastructure to allow for more traffic, to allow for more bandwidth. Um, it, just the same way that at the beginning of the internet, when all we had was AOL, uh, the bandwidth was like a tiny little straw, right? The whole internet had to feed mm -hmm. through this tiny little, uh, this, this straw of space where all content on the internet existed. And then we slowly built out more and more infrastructure to allow for things like pictures and then videos and then streaming videos and then right. VR. And eventually like we, we slowly build out more and more bandwidth, um, and it's this continuous pendulum that exists between adoption and infrastructure uh, that that kind of like leads to these cycles of like, oh, we don't really have the bandwidth, like the market's yeah. going to crash because it, it no one can use the network. Now. It, it's a cycle of like investment in the infrastructure. So everyone kind of knows there's a demand for it. I mean, with Internet, it was the same thing, right? We need all this fiber run across the country. But who's actually going to pay to do it? Is it going to be the government? Will it be private companies? Is it going to be a shared utility? Who's building all of these lanes? And fundamentally, um, there's more market incentives and a stronger case, the more people are willing to use it, buy it, and pay money for access to it, right? So when the yeah. market gets really congested, that becomes a proof of concept for like, look, there's a huge demand for this. We need to find some ways. And then that pushes things along. And that that's the pendulum kind of that you're talking about here. Yeah. And, you know, it, similarly, you there's not a ton of incentive to build roads until people have cars that they yeah. can use to ride on the roads. But if the people don't have roads, they're not as uh, there's not a ton of incentive to buy cars. So it's kind of a chicken and egg problem that that yeah. sorts itself out by slowly going back and forth and, and going between these cycles of adoption and infrastructure. I see. Okay. So, so it, yeah. Last cycle. Uh, what, what, where yeah. are we at? So just to kind of give uh, an idea of what that actually looked like in our last market cycle, um, we had 2015, Ethereum was born. Um, and maybe it's worth looking at the uh, Bitcoin rainbow chart again here, just to kind of give an idea of where this mapped up to the to market cycles. But Ethereum was was uh, launched in 2015. The the Bitcoin halving uh, in that time frame was in 2016. Uh, there was a new flood of initial coin offerings that existed on Ethereum in 2017. And that was really the point where like enough momentum, enough adoption um, and enough sort of demand for block space had accrued that uh, the, the price of all of these coins started to shoot up. Um, and that was like kind of the, the high level of getting up to the peak of, of our last bull run in the market cycle. And then we got to a point where, you know, network congestion occurred, fees started going through the roof. Uh, if there's a limited supply of block space and the demand keeps growing, the price for getting your transaction on the next block just goes right through the roof um, and gets to the point where in many cases, your blockchain becomes unusable. In the case of Ethereum in 2017, just one application, uh, CryptoKitties, was this kind of dumb NFT? Uh, <laughs> I own a couple of crypto kitties, so I can say that it's dumb. Um, <laughs> it's this kind of like basic. Uh, you can buy a cat, you can breed it with another cat. They they look different. They combine their genetics. Like, kind of interesting for the time, but um, that was enough to kind of kill Ethereum. <laughs> like that just brought the block space to a uh, to a halt, uh, and, and just congestion killed it. Yeah. And even in the, like the case of CryptoKitties, 
when you're making a game like that, you might have a couple hundred users when you launch it. And you know, theoretically, if it gets mass adopted, it, it could balloon and be worth a lot of money. But you, you can't really plan on that happening when you're building it. So the mentality is a bit more, well, that's a good problem to have. We'll solve our scaling issue when we get there, if we get there. Because if we get there, that means people are using our thing and then we'll have money and we can throw money at the problem. It comes back to this chicken and the egg pendulum thing again. And um, yeah, then the game becomes unplayable and unusable because the, the cost to breed a cat outweighs the cost of the new cat created. And then the game's not fun anymore. It's just stupid. You're just <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yeah, unsurprisingly, can't really use Ethereum. Very expensive to use Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, prices crashed, people left. Uh, and we had this like long three and a half year period of just infrastructure improvement. Um, uh, on the Bitcoin side, uh, there's different scaling solutions that they're working on. Um, Lightning Network was one that's been around for a little while, hasn't gained a ton of adoption. On the Ethereum side, um, there's just been a ton of, uh, of protocol, uh, in, in new protocols that have existed. Um, Ethereum 2.0 is, is, has been in the pipeline for a while. Um, there's these other infrastructure improvements that we're going to talk about in future episodes. Um, and we've had this long period to kind of expand the, the bandwidth pipeline. Um, and now we're back, right? We're new cycle has begun. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2020, uh, May, 2020, uh, was the most recent Bitcoin having, uh, prices didn't really move just yet. And then finally, um, this concept of DeFi kicks off on Ethereum. Uh, it's commonly referred to as DeFi summer in, in the summer of 2020. Um, and that's where prices just started going through the roof. Um, there's this concept called yield farming where uh, you can earn interest in DeFi now. And, and you, it's, it's starting to look and feel a lot more like an actual bank account that you can have uh, in crypto, in DeFi. And so uh, similarly, right off the bat, beginning of the summer, prices start pumping. Um, and we started to see kind of the same network congestion again. We saw high fees, um, prices dip down a little bit in the summer, but we're still in the middle of this cycle. And um, this cycle is going to be, you know, in some ways similar to previous cycles. I think at a macro level, I, I think I, I expect some sort of a price correction. No idea when that'll happen, but um, in some ways different too, because we are now at a point where um, Ethereum has... Uh, this whole set, uh, this series of, of bandwidth improvements uh, that are called uh, layer two scaling solutions. And it essentially is like more and more of the traffic that's existing on the Ethereum blockchain is moving up uh, into this additional layer, these layers that exist on top of, uh, of Ethereum that mm -hmm. allow the, the gas fees to go down. And like even in the last two weeks, uh, the cost of gas has gone down relatively dramatically um, on, on Ethereum. So like we're yeah. sort of battling this, this demand, uh, bandwidth expansion that's occurring and yeah, uh, I love watching it play out. Yeah. It's, and it's fun. As, as we're seeing Ethereum has created this great trust foundation layer. So now these layer two solutions can be a little bit more centralized in nature, still very decentralized, but being able to utilize Ethereum and, and use what a lot of things are called a side chain. Um, it, it's just way more efficient. And you can use a side chain for a specific purpose like gaming, right? And if you can move all those crypto kitties onto a side chain, but then that side chain talks to Ethereum so they can be moved back and forth and still exist kind of in both spaces 
that's really cool. And that's the kind of scaling stuff we're talking about. So maybe uh, a little teaser uh, for next time. Um, love so, to tease our yeah, episodes. Love to tease. So lightning round, though. Let's uh, let's also before light. Do we want to show our little graphic about congestion? Uh, is that, oh yeah, so, totally. Um, there, there's a lot going on here. Uh, a lot to digest, but this is a really cool visualization. This is txstreet.com, um, and it's just a great little South Park style visualization tool of what the market congestion looks like in Ethereum compared to Bitcoin. Um, and the blocks are represented by these buses, and the buses are waiting in queue to go down Blockchain Ave. And um, well, really, it's the the passengers that are trying to get on, and each passenger is representative of some sort of blockchain transaction, uh, whether it's something happening on Ethereum or on the Bitcoin side, just trying to move Bitcoin around. Uh, and as you can see, there's quite the queue here on the Bitcoin side. A lot of people waiting because the Bitcoin blocks move uh, pretty infrequently. You can see at the top here, I think it's been 20 minutes or something um, as it shows the the pending waiting line. Um, and Ethereum, uh, it's, it's designed to move through a little bit more quickly. Uh, not a completely fair comparison here, but um, a cool visualization. And this is real time of how the network is actually operating. So all these little people, you can click on them and it'll show you the, the network address or on the Bitcoin side. It'll show you how much, you know, he's trying to send 0.00462 Bitcoin to somebody. Um, this is an actual live simulation of what's happening on the blockchains. Uh, and just very cool to kind of digest the kind of thing you can pop in the background and uh, get kind of mesmerized by it. It's... Yep. Uh, Pretty cool. I love this thing. Yeah, we we talk about transparency for uh, for a while in this podcast, and we, you know, it's it's kind of neat to be able to actually click around and see what people are doing on these blockchains and and see all the data that you can get from it. Um, and you know, over time, build tooling that kind of it incorporates that open data. I think that'll change a lot of a lot yeah. of the way that we understand our economy. It's a great little uh, tip of the iceberg of kind of this metaverse concept of what uh, you know representation can look like of these data points, even in just simple art forms. So um, I don't know, very very cool. But let's uh, let's dive into uh, lightning round questions here, buddy. Is now a good time to buy? Is it too late? Did I miss the ship? Because I, I have to admit, <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 what's that old saying? Best time to buy cryptocurrency was yesterday. Second best time is today. Um, I totally get that FOMO feeling, fear missing out. I've got it a little bit. Should I be scared to be buying at all-time highs right now? So here's the thing. Everybody falls for the exact same cognitive biases. We've all got the same brain uh, bumping around up here in our heads. You know, the price is too high. Uh, I'll just wait till the price drops, and then that's when I'm going to buy. Or like while the price is crashing like oh i'm not gonna buy it now because like if i do it's just the price is gonna keep going lower um and just don't try to time the market uh there's a term dollar cost averaging that's worth looking into it's essentially just the idea of slowly investing with the market uh not trying to you know have these like huge uh lump sum investments that you're doing, but just, you know, every week, uh, every month, whatever it is that works for you, uh, whatever little amount of money that you can put aside that you won't really feel in your day to day, um, that goes a long way long term. Uh, and just, you know, if, if you're just now starting to realize the value of crypto and just kind of understanding the space and realizing that this is a thing um, and you want to move some larger, you make some portfolio adjustment, maybe you want to go from stocks into crypto or maybe it's just like this is your first foray into investing. Um, 
just consider breaking that move into smaller daily or, or weekly or whatever buys. Um, and just remember that like this is incredibly early days still. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it. But uh, right now, the entire cryptocurrency market accounts for something like uh, 0.16 of like global wealth. Uh, if you compare like all of the, the debt that all of the different nation states have and like all of the like it's just well, very just adoption are we even in double digits of like americans or america in europe uh holding cryptocurrency it's abysmal, right i, you, I you doubt it to, <laughs> you talk to any american about crypto and it's like nine yeah. times out of ten they're not interested and they have very little understanding of sort of like what's going on in the space so yeah uh, in my opinion that we're, i think it's Pretty early days, and, and you got to remember uh, too that in the the probably not too distant future, there will likely be tools built where people can utilize cryptocurrency or interact in it with it in ways that are very convenient, like through the app store or through these like really traditional interfaces that are centralized. Right now, that doesn't mean they can't be a portal into a decentralized platform, and those interfaces are still being built. Uh, so, like right now, you have to kind of go out of your way to set up MetaMask and buy Ethereum and like get all set up to actually be able to do stuff those barriers are breaking down like day by day and that's what i think will get that kind of acceleration in terms of adoption where the people that are resistant now once it becomes convenient they won't be so resistant in my opinion yeah the bridges are being built from both centralized finance and decentralized finance yeah Uh, just last month visa has begun settling usdc on ethereum like that's big news visa the credit card uh (laughs) company is now essentially like a layer two to ethereum um yeah that's like that's That's, just pretty hype (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah keep a long-term perspective when you when you think about long-term technological change yeah yeah so um next questions do these market cycles repeat in some sort of like predictable way or or are there additional patterns that we can kind of look out for within a market cycle um, so yes and no. I think it's important to remember that you need to avoid the gambler's fallacy, right? Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. Sure, it's it's all relative and that past data is interesting and it certainly can give you some inclinations, but um, it's not foolproof and it is impossible to predict the future. So in that regard, kind of no, uh, but I think these micro cycles lead into macro cycles, like the ones that we talked about where you see adaptation adaptations even in ethereum allows people to to get more interested in either ethereum or by virtue cryptocurrency and then that leads to more adoption of the other coins that exist in parallel with it so breakthroughs in technology sort of in any kind of blockchain or cryptocurrency sense uh, will push the whole space like they always move a little bit together it's really rare that the whole market goes up and then ethereum just goes down you know sort of like the s p 500 um, they all kind of move in this wave a little bit. Um, so I, I think there is some certainly some truth to that, uh, the rainbow chart that we looked at. But just remember how wide the gap was in the rainbow chart. Um, there's still a lot of variance that can take place, even if you feel like you're you're somewhat reading the market uh, to some degree. It is, it is still very highly volatile. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, um, all right. If prices crash again, do I sell my crypto? Uh, do I put it back in the bank? Uh, how, how do I manage the, the volatility that we just spoke about? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, one thing to realize about investing is that it's, it, it is important to take profits uh, if you are dumping all of your money in one asset and that asset crashes, like majority of your wealth is going to crash. So um, the, the idea here is like, if you are going to dollar cost average in, that you can also dollar cost average some out. Like if you get to the point where you're not really comfortable with the amount, uh, the percentage of your portfolio that is wrapped up in crypto, uh, remember that it's okay to like slowly do the same thing in reverse. Um, but I think it's important to remember that the, the whole point of this, of this, of crypto and this, this move that we're making isn't to um, make a bunch of money every couple years and then just like kind of go back to us dollar and back to mm -hmm. the traditional financial system. Like uh, now with this market cycle, there are, there are new uh, tools that exist that allow you to borrow stable coins, you know, dollar pegged crypto um, mm -hmm. for off of the the ether and and the bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies that you own so you can essentially borrow us dollar from your own investments um and then you can plug a, a debit card into that uh that those stable coins and start to use it in the real world um so i i think this is all relatively new all within this last market cycle um but the tooling now exists where you don't have to go back to the legacy financial system uh, every couple of years. Uh, like if the new financial system didn't also support all of the, the, the currencies that existed in the previous one, it wouldn't be a really great one. So there are stable coins. There are US right. dollar equivalents that exist in these DeFi, are and These are the bridges, right, that we were just yeah. talking about. Th these are the connections that allow you to interface with legacy finance through a DeFi interface. You can back your yourself with Ethereum through stable coins that are usable in the real world, just like USD through debit cards and stuff. That's pretty cool. You know, that's that's yeah. and we're still at the very early phase of that, right? So give that another couple years and things start getting really interesting. Yeah, and it's like it's wild. Uh, just the the concept of of borrowing that money, and uh, you can think of it kind of as a loan. Um, and then the interest rates in crypto that exist. Remember, this is just like a, any other bank account. You have interest rates, and so mm -hmm. far they're much higher when you remove the centralized third party that's taking the majority of it. Um, <laughs> uh, you can use those interest rates to pay off your own loan that you're taking out against yourself. Like it's yeah. this is some. Some That's... deep shit, <laughs> uh, but not something we have time to talk about in this episode. Yeah. Um, final question here. Uh, we've talked a lot about market cycles. We've talked about price. Uh, we've talked about market cap. What other metrics are important aside from those uh, that are worth looking at when you're trying to get a feel for how how adoption has occurred over time? Yeah, this is a big one, especially when you're trying to analyze all of what I would call the, the Bitcoin knockoffs of the world. We talked about some of the past episodes that have forked off the SV, the BCH, that kind of stuff. Um, mining and hashing power, staking power, if you're talking about something proof of stake oriented, what's the backbone of the network look like? How risky um, is it in terms or what's the risk analysis in terms of 50 
51 attacks. We talked about Ethereum Classic, I think, in the last episode or episode before. Um, that's a function of this hashing power or staking power that exists on the network. So that's a big one. Uh, number of active users. How many unique wallets exist? How many transactions are actually occurring on the network? And yeah, sometimes these can be faked a little bit by people trying to pump up their, their own smaller networks, but it is still a key metric to look at. Um, it doesn't really matter what the price of a coin is if nobody's using the network for anything functional or it doesn't have a value proposition uh, because that number probably is inflated somehow, bubbled in some way, pumped up, and uh, we know what happens after an artificial pump. In comes the dump. So um, all these things help paint the full picture of the health of any given cryptocurrency beyond just the market cap or what the price of a coin is. Um, also, transaction fees. That can call, that kind of correlate to demand. In the case of Ethereum, um, gas prices going up generally means that there's high demand to use the network to interface with NFTs or apps or, or whatever, or uh, dApps, I guess I should say, uh, that exist in the marketplace. So uh, that's a good thing in some ways because it shows that there's a lot of usage. Um, it's bad in the short term, but um, that's better than nobody wanting to use the network at all, I think, given all the options. Uh, and lastly, like roadmap and future plans. Think about Ethereum. Again, it's backed by the Ethereum Foundation. Vitalik Buterin is sort of the face of Ethereum in, of Ethereum in a lot of ways. Um, he certainly has a, a lot to say and is a relatively public figure in that regard, very active on Twitter and other social media platforms. That can make a big difference. Having a roadmap and a plan and a strategy saying, hey, we're killing the environment right now, but we've got a plan to save the environment and still keep our cryptocurrency healthy, that matters, right? That gives me some extra confidence in terms of adoption and the roadmap. So um, all different things to keep in mind when you're you're trying to evaluate the marketplace. Yeah, and all of this, and between this and in our altcoins episode, we're talking about it from the perspective of different blockchains, different like top uh, base currencies, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, but all of these fundamentally apply to projects that exist on top of the blockchain. So within DeFi on Ethereum, um, there's different uh, lending and borrowing protocols, there's exchanges, um, and all of these concepts apply at, at kind of those those micro project levels, um, in addition to just the blockchains. Yeah. Absolutely. So, whoopsie. Uh, there we go. Kevin's back. Um, so there you go. That wraps up today's episode. Um, hopefully you enjoyed our market cycles, kind of overview of the past. I know I did, Kevin. It's great to get some perspective on this stuff and also get some relief that I haven't missed it yet. I can still hop aboard this boat and maybe still find some returns along the way. Um, really excited to, to dive into the future stuff, though. This decentralized finance, the DeFi we keep talking about, Man, this shit sounds awesome. I can't wait to learn more about it. We're getting there. We're getting there. All right. Good chatting with y'all. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.